and welcome to a weekend review edition of the Total Soccer Show. I'm Taylor Rockwell. With me, I've got the John Mayer of soccer without the creepiness and even more soccer knowledge. It's Ryan Bailey. Hello, Ryan. <laughs> what an intro. Thank you very much, Tay-Tay. I will take that. The John Mayer of soccer. Can I get without that on my creepiness? creepiness? Amazing. Without the creepiness, we'll make you some business cards. And it's worth <laughs> noting, Ryan Bailey is not alone with me today. We have another fellow joining us. I want to get his name right. I want to make sure. Is it, it, it Daryl Grove? Is that correct? Yeah, all one word. All one word. Oh. <laughs> Daryl Grove. Okay, yeah. my mistake. It's Daryl Grove. Hello, Daryl. You're joining Hello. us for a weekend review. It's a threesome. Hello. <laughs> this wasn't how I pictured uh, it, I've got to be honest. My yeah, I know, time. right? <laughs> the, three season, the threesome everybody wanted. All right. We do have Ryan. We do have Daryl. We're going to talk a lot about the Premier League because we have the Premier League back. Daryl and I broke down the Friday games on, not surprisingly, Friday. But we've now got the Saturday and Sunday games to discuss. Let's start with Aston Villa v Chelsea. Uh, and I think we will get to Christian Pulisic, but I'm going to take us in an entirely different direction because though we are an American-based podcast, you two are English, and so I want to start there. I <laughs> really enjoyed everything I saw from Mason Mount, and I'm wondering where we are on the England enthusiasm ranking when it comes to Mason Mount uh, because he seemed very good in this game. He seemed excellent for the second goal, the winning goal. I'm wondering how much, how much you all would like to see from him for the England national team and where he fits in Gareth Southgate's plans. Which Englishman would you like to go first, Taylor? I think I would like Daryl Grove to go first. <laughs> I, I still see him way, way, way behind Raheem Sterling, Jaden Sancho, and Marcus Rashford. I th- I, I don't, I'm not that excited about Mason Mount just yet, especially because I haven't seen him do it in a white shirt. No, all right. I mean, I think he's played in a white shirt for Chelsea. I think occasionally, Chelsea's got a white shirt. That's why I think I've seen him doing that. To be fair, yeah. and he was pretty good in this game. Let's be fair; he was one of the better players on the field for Chelsea here. But I think I have to concur with Daryl on the uh, national team front there. All right, but Christian Pulisic is uh, maybe a bit more relevant to his national team, at least at the moment. <laughs> he goes in and gets the goal today, Daryl. Uh, where, like, when you see Christian Pulisic score, we're going to start with a general one, like. Is it the point with him where we've seen him score goals before? You're sort of used to it. You're excited, but you're like, yeah, okay, good job, good job. Or are you still like jumping out of your chair, that level of enthusiasm? I scared my dog, if that answers your question. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's that's a good enough answer for me. So are you jumping out? Are you screaming? Is it just like a, a solid fist bump? What are we getting from you? Yes, yes, and yes. Uh, I mean, <laughs> so what, it was five minutes after coming off the bench. We're mm-hmm. all very much aware that Christian Pulisic, um, unlike Mason Mount, is not BFFs forever with mm-hmm. uh, with Frank Lampard. That's best friends forever, forever, right? BFFs forever. Yes, of course. Um, so Pulisic still has... <laughs> something to prove at Chelsea and coming off the bench five minutes later, ghosting in at the far post and smashing it top corner or whatever he did, meeting it at least and hitting it top corner. Um, that It's something worth getting excited about. I, mm-hmm. I like to think it made Timo Werner sad. <laughs> I mean, you, you still seem pretty concerned with him, like having to keep a team Werner for compete with team Werner for minutes. I maybe am not quite there. Ryan, for you, like, do you think that Christian Pulisic needs to be slightly nervous about that team Werner signing? Or is that more a Tammy, Tammy Abraham uh, situation? There's, yeah, I, I probably agree with that. I think there's not too many things that uh, Pulisic needs to be concerned about, especially if he plays like this. I think one thing this showed is obviously he came on at the hour mark. He was the game changer in this game, wasn't he? He, he had people saying, you know, he deserves to start every other the game based on that performance he was he was really probably the most direct player Chelsea had out there you know he was taking on players he was uh, 
Loftus-Cheek was doing half the job he was doing. He was not nearly as effective. Um, You know, he was an American hero out there. He was doing everything out there, but can he hold a glass of water with one hand? That's what I want to (laughs) know. That's what I want to know. If he can do that, he's got it all, frankly, and he's got nothing to worry about. But um, I will say also on that goal, credit, massive credit has to go to Dave Asper, the Quetta, for, you know, getting two assists in this game. And that perfect deep cross into the the, uh, danger zone, uh, everyone else seemed to miss it, but uh, but Pulisic, Pulisic got there, and it was just so perfectly placed that cross, wasn't it? D- Daryl, when you think about that goal for a moment, is it Pulisic sort of doing a good job handling that ball in? Is it Cesar Spilicueta with just like an inch perfect pass, and then Pulisic kind of does what he needs to do? Like, who gets more credit for you, or is it sort of equally shared? I mean, the name on the sheet is Christian Pulisic, right? All right. And for one thing, he could drink a glass of water with just his foot, I believe. Um, <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> That's a a Pulisic challenge right there. Um, And I think the big deal is, yes, that's a great, it's a great, great cross from Aspilicueta, right? But if if it was Ruben Loftus-Cheek there instead of Pulisic, that sequence isn't happening. Um, I watched this game. I was happy to see Ruben Loftus-Cheek start, but he's very much a central midfielder who was kind of playing a conservative left mid type position. Mm -hmm. As soon as Pulisic comes on, it's just more, much more natural for him to sometimes be out on the touchline threatening people and crucially to know when to drift in from the left and arrive at that far post. This is a thing we've seen him do for Chelsea more than once now. So much so uh, that uh, Konza and McGinn, neither of them spot him, right? They both mm-hmm. think they're marking Ross Barkley. Christian Pulisic sort of gave them the runaround, gave them the sneak around and arrived um, unnoticed at the far post. That's what Christian Pulisic can do. And if you heard the commentator say, that's now the most league goals Christian Pulisic has scored in one season. because It takes him to six league goals. That's more than he ever scored for Dortmund in one season. I think that hat-trick yeah. against Burnley helped, uh, but it's definitely Pulisic yeah. putting numbers on the board. I did not know that. So that makes me very happy. And yes, I did miss that. Um, I, I, I did not miss the goal, obviously, but I did not watch all of this game. Uh, for either of you who did, the goal will get the headlines. Uh, the calm finish will obviously get some of the headlines. Were there other moments from Christian Pulisic that also stood out? Or are we, are we sort of just okay to focus on the goal from this game? It wasn't like he was running the show and uh, suddenly he mm-hmm. was uh, like like Villa were backs against the wall just because of Christian Pulisic. But it was yeah. it was more like Chelsea had a much more... Um, coherent attacking shape because they had a left winger on the left instead of what I saw as Ruben Loftus-Cheek being rewarded for coming back from injury, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that makes I, sense to me. I think it, it, well, I think I've touched on this before, but it kind of was a game-changing moment when he came on and also Ross Bartley came on, who was also very good in this game. Yeah, It's, it's kind of showed how there's another game we're going to talk about later involving another team in London who play in red, who may not have used substitutes well and the, uh, maybe this is an example of them being used very well and maybe this new five substitute rule is is something that um that Chelsea have in their arsenal shall we say <laughs> it's worth I noting as well I, I'm pretty sure Frank Lampard didn't start with his strongest 11 right and I I'd, I'd evidence I'd put for that is Olivier Giroud starting over Tammy Abraham that's not been the usual thing right mm. um so I I do think that maybe he's looking ahead to that Manchester City game which is in midweek um and even if we're thinking about Pulisic it means that he might actually be a starting 11 player in Lampard's head uh, but was just you know getting uh, just a half an hour run out ready for Man City and the fact that he scored I think now cements cements that idea 
I do think when I watch Christian Pulisic, like per, like for me personally, I'm watching it from a perspective of what's he doing that's good. Like I want to see those big moments, those goal moments. But then also, is he doing enough that makes me happy that like his performance was better than those around him? And I and I rewatched the highlights to see Willian's performance, and it's a lot of shooting from distance. It's a lot of cutting inside. It's a lot of sort of like shooting decision making versus linking up. And I and I think I was really happy not just with Pulisic's goal, but with the way he sort of did combine and did do more than than just shoot. And that sort of performance always makes me feel a little bit better even if he's not starting that he's coming in and getting the job done but it does then for me beg the question of like what is the margin for you ryan in terms of a good performance and i want to look at aspilicueta for a moment because he misses a number of crosses he tries to play and i would argue he gets beat by courtney house uh horse excuse me not house i've got to pronounce it your ludicrous way uh for the villa (laughs) goal uh but then he plays that ball in for christian pulisic so he kind of gets beat but he plays in an inch perfect pass what is, is that good enough for it to be a good game for Dave Aspilicueta? I think on balance, when you get two assists, both of which were very quite good, and from um, from different flanks as well, I think that's a pretty good game, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I think that probably is good enough, and especially if he's kind of <laughs> not being looked upon to be like the attacking fulcrum. Maybe just getting that, that lovely assist is good enough, even if, as Daryl pointed out, his name is not the one on the score sheet. So maybe Pulisic gets the plaudits, but we're okay with Dave Aspilicueta getting some of them. Daryl, you good with that? None. All Christian. <laughs> because we haven't mentioned yet he had that magnificent five o'clock shadow okay this is the other question i have which i will say thank you daryl for the assist uh i i did see on reddit and i had to ponder it is this his coronavirus quarantine beard has christian Pulisic shaved since play stopped and is this the <laughs> maximum amount of facial hair he is able to grow daryl since you reminded me we'll start with ryan ryan uh springing it on you what do you think is this the full Pulisic beard or could he go further I think your question isn't giving him as much credit as he deserves maybe in the facial hair region. I say that because I did interview him in person. I was but a foot away from him when people could do that kind of thing uh, a couple of years ago. And I seem to remember him having some pretty gruff stubble, not like full coverage, but he had some stubble going on and I think he could do better. I think. Okay. I'm not saying he's going to blow out a Sergio Ramos, you know, East London hipster beard anytime soon, but I think he could do better than what he had. Uh, while I think about Sergio Ramos uh, gently stroking his beard after converting a penalty, Daryl, what do you think? Is this the maximum facial hair for Christian Pulisic? This is this is the length he's chosen because okay. I look I looked at some uh, preseason uh, warm up stuff. Their game, uh, of course, Chelsea you did. You played. did the research. I yeah, Daryl. I did the research, not for beard <laughs> stuff, but I happened to notice the beard. Sure, sure, sure. And I'm pretty sure what has happened is Christian Pulisic has bought a razor and he has set it to Don Draper stayed late at work. And that's the setting that he's using. That's the length of stubble he's going with. I think that's, that is the nicer way of saying uh, Miami Vice. He's got the Miami Vice shadow. <laughs> I, I think that's what Don Johnson rocked on the regular. Uh, I also don't know if I need to see Christian Pulisic, like, boyish and, and, and slight as he is with a giant beard. That would, that would be a strange combination of, of aesthetics. And I don't really want to think about it anymore. So I just want to move on to maybe a happier topic. Oh, if, go ahead, if, he, if, if he had the Don Draper coming home from work look, did Jack Grealish have the uh, Don Draper coming home from work after a few walk? Because he did fall over an awful lot near the edge of uh, the Chelsea area. <laughs> Jack Grealish has the Don Draper coming home from California. <laughs> I haven't watched Mad Men, so I'm politely laughing. Uh, <laughs> Daryl, uh, I want to talk about a, a team near and dear to your heart. Let, can we talk Wolves for a moment? Because I'm going to assume you watched this one and I'm going to assume that you were happy. Taylor, we can talk Wolves all day long. Um, all right. I want to I ask you a question first, though. Are we talking hmm. Wolves, and I assume Adama Traore, um, just because I'm on the show? Or would they make the running order anyway? I'm genuinely interested in this. 
I, I will give you my answer, Ryan. I look forward to yours. But I think the way Ryan and I tend to to do it is we look at like the big big games, and then we look at what else was interesting afterwards. And I think Wolves are generally a what else was interesting afterward, unless they're playing one of those big teams. But I also think they're moving into uh, not quite appointment television, but a team that I think you have to look at as being a European qualifier near the top, and certainly like for Man United, never a team that you can look past because they tend to lose or at best draw. Yeah, to back out Taylor's point, we look at the relegation candidates and the Champions League contenders. We've got both right here, baby. <laughs> this this game was also on main channel NBC. You know, the one mm-hmm. where they used to show friends um, yep. and at, at noon. And for 73 minutes, it was not a good game, right? It was not an enjoyable game at all. Um, it seemed like uh, American soccer could have taken a step backwards if Adama Traore hadn't come off the bench. <laughs> what but do you mean? Are you not entertained by the prospect of West Ham launching long balls at Mikhail Antonio for 70 minutes when he's up against three centre-backs and has no hope and Felipe Anderson is aimlessly wandering behind him with I, no I more, great I, impact? Is that, not, I, is that entertaining for you, Daryl? It was more relaxing than entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but that is the case, though, right? Because, yeah, we've talked about this before, that I always, for whatever reason, I think I have Wolves locked in my brain, maybe because they're Wolves, as this, like, attacking, exciting team when they oh, are, no, no, no. generally speaking, very much <laughs> not that. But I think because they're so, I'm going to say, like, swashbuckling smash and grab, that out yeah. of nowhere, they'll be, like, 3 nil up. I think it's that sort of the electrifying nature of their counterattacks is what consistently makes them so exciting. Plus Raul Jimenez from a CONCACAF perspective, then there's the Daryl Grove aspect of it all. I think that's <laughs> yeah. the kind of threefold approach that I go with. Yeah, they're a great highlights team, basically, because they, yeah, they, don't, well give, they mm-hmm. don't give much away, right? The three centre-backs like never get too far apart. The wing-backs stay back and only go forward when it's really on. And for the first 60-something minutes of this game, Wolves played three central midfielders, right? So we always know that Neves is there and Martinho's there. But very often when uh, Nuno wants to keep things locked down, he puts Dendonka in there as well. And even his name kind of describes how he plays, right? He just sort of bull- bullies around midfield and knocks some people over. You get, <laughs> you get Dendonked if you try to do anything in central midfield. And then, I think this is really smart from Nuno, around the 60-somethingth minute, he brings on Adama Traore and he brings on Neto. He brings out Dendonka and out uh, comes Jota. And Wolves go into a 3-4-3 with Neto and Traore going down the wings and one fewer central midfielders. No one's getting Dendonked for the last for the last 30 minutes. Um, <laughs> but you are getting attacked by Traore for that last half an hour. And that really is what causes all the trouble for West Ham. So I think just from a tactical perspective, what I see is Nuno playing it really safe on you know the first game back after the... After, uh, project restart um, and then just taking the break off a little bit for the last 30 minutes it's another example from the premier league restart of uh, a first half being a bit tepid and, and you know fitness being perhaps an issue and then things getting going in the second half but also with good substitutions as we mentioned in the last in the chelsea match there as well and uh, what i really liked about wolves you know we all know that they've got some attractive play going on but these the, both goals were kind of worked from back to front as well it, they were just they were just very i think a good highlights team is a good way to describe it because if you just watch the highlights there and you saw those goals and you saw everything else they were doing yeah you, you get a you get a pretty good well maybe you don't get a pretty good picture but you get a good, a good picture of what they're doing if you know what i'm saying and in so, terms sorry, of go ahead, I was going to say, in terms of the Premier League, because we've both mentioned Adama Traore coming on as a substitute. Ryan, for you, is there a player right now who you would less want to see subbing on against the team that you support? Obviously, when we're talking about MK Dons, your most beloved team, you don't want anybody uh, to sub on and do do, uh, 
do any sort of goals against them. I'm still reeling from whether or not you're going to get really, really mad at me for that joke. We'll see what happens. But yeah, if, is Adama Traore subbing on right now like the most frightening player that could come on uh, in the English Premier League? I, you're, my mic cut out for your mic cut out for like <laughs> 20, 20 seconds or so. But I think you were talking about Adama Traore there. Yes. And I'll answer it. In the, yes, I think he was an absolutely terrifying um, yeah. uh, prospect when he comes on. Is he, and maybe Daryl's better positioned to answer this, is he like mm-hmm. the most improved Premier League player? I'm talking about his control, you know, he, he, he seems to be, have improved so much with, with his dribbling and his close control and, and obviously his pace is still there. It doesn't seem to have uh, it's dissipated in any way. Maybe his accuracy is a bit better with, with, his, with his deliveries and such. What do we think? Is he, could, could he be the most improved Premier League player in, let's say, the last year? I actually have a, a weird theory on this in that like his his dribbling was never in question it wasn't all just it was never all just pace dribbling was never in question even crossing was never really in question it, they always technically looked like good crosses I think what's happened is everybody's on the same page and the evidence I would have for this is 30 seconds before he bursts down the right and like chips that cross in and Raul Jimenez heads it home. He does the exact same thing. He dribbles down the right wing and he doesn't look up, but he chips a cross in to the exact same spot. Um, mm. But that first time, nobody was there. Jimenez was, I think, slow getting there. So it just went to nobody. And I honestly think it's more that just Wolves have this, they're a very like systemic team, right? Like they, I think they all know that Traore's job is get to the end line and you're going to put it in this spot, which is like the uh, the, the far side of the six-yard box. And he's consistently done that. But now it's like everybody else knows exactly what's happening as well. So it all suddenly fits together. And the, the, one, the one thing I think he's got really good at, though, the thing where I think he's improved, is if you look at the second goal for Neto, it's, uh, it's Matt Doherty that crosses it, right? Yeah. It's Traore that starts dribbling, draws everybody in, and then instead of trying to take on the whole team, I think he's, he's learned to do that thing that really good players do, where they realize that they attract other players, and they use that to their advantage by letting players come and then laying it off to someone else who is now wide open because everybody's crowded around you. Yeah, definitely agree with that. And he he definitely was exposing that flank quite a lot during this game. Uh, an open-ended question for you. How tall is Raul Jimenez and how tall is Issa Diop? And they were standing next to each other when that first goal cross came in. Ooh, I don't know. I, I want to say Jimenez is just roughly six foot. I want to say he's... I don't want to say Diop's got four inches on him. Okay, yeah, that doesn't sound incorrect. <laughs> <laughs> just, just, Jimenez, just, just talking to the defending there. That's all. Jimenez looks shorter than he is because he has the entire weight of all of Mexico's goal scoring on his shoulders right now, and that kind of weighs him down a little bit. So <laughs> that's that's the He's major six, three. thing. Six three, Raúl Jimenez. What? Well, Daryl. If he needed to be taller, dare we say, longer, uh, then maybe we could talk about uh, today's sponsor for a moment because today's episode of the Total Soccer Show is brought to you by Roman. Uh, I'm not even going to ask you how long it takes if you're living in a major U.S. city to wait to see a doctor because I'm going to guess both of you know that the answer is basically a month, but that's where our our friends at Roman can come in handy. Isn't that right, Daryl Grove? Well, I'm now interested to know, are you going to claim that Roman makes you taller? (laughs) Because this is an unexpected benefit of Roman that I did not know about. I mean, it it makes you... I don't even know where to go with that one, Daryl. I don't even know where to go with that one while keeping this one without an explicit tag it on makes, it. So I'm it, just going to stall for time. It makes part of you taller. There we go. 
Well said, sir. Uh, Ryan. Uh, I'll, I'll jump in there, Taylor. And so, yes, it does, you right. do have to wait around somewhere between 28 and 30 days to see a doctor on average in the US. So that's why our friends at Roman have spent years building a digital platform that can connect you with a doctor licensed in your state, not a different state, your one, all from the comfort of your home. Roman makes it convenient to get the treatment you need on your schedule or schedule. I've forgotten which one is the British way. <laughs> Schedule's British, schedule's American. Okay. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Schedule, yeah. darling. <laughs> yeah. We, we, it, yeah. That's, uh, you couldn't hear it when you said it? <laughs> uh, yes. So if you are uh, struggling with erectile dysfunction, you can go to getroman.com slash TSS for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's getroman.com slash TSS for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. Thank you very much to Roman for sponsoring today's episode. Thank you very much to Arsenal for continuing to give us stuff to talk about. We have Arsenal dropping points, uh, this time away uh, to Brighton. Brighton with a two-to-one win. And I want to start this off by going very specific for a moment into Brighton's winning goal, if you all will follow me there for a moment. Because this was a game where watching it I understand how like Mustafi is going to get some hate from Arsenal fans and consistently does get some uh, like uh, some negative comments from Arsenal fans. But in this one, it seemed to me like he was maybe a little bit hard done by the rest of the Arsenal team. Uh, do you all know what I'm talking about when I talk about Mustafi on the second goal? I mean, is he the one that uh, Mapai gets gets around in the end? Yes. Yeah. I mean, I, I thought this is a really nice Brighton move. Are we putting mm-hmm. some blame at Arsenal players here? No, well, yes, I am just not a Mustafi because I think it's a great Brighton move and it's a great uh, ball in. It's a lovely little uh, like like reverse pass, and I think it's cleverly done. Yeah, but it is the case that all of Arsenal's midfield uh, in this case, in this moment, it was Genduzi, Nelson, and Willock had all basically stepped to the ball, and there is a good. 20 yard gap or so between those midfielders and Arsenal's defense and that's where Brighton are all sort of standing and that's why I think why it stood out to me with Mustafi is that afterwards he looks like the one who fails to track Mapai for the goal and he starts like throwing his hands up and he's so angry and in that moment I was like oh you're doing that thing as a defender where you've got to try to blame somebody because it's your fault and going back and watching I realized no it's just that the entire midfield vacated the space and left 10 yards open for Brighton to do whatever they wanted with and that does feel like the little sort of breakdowns that are must make Arsenal fans really frustrated at this point because they can play a really good game, they can have lots of good chances, but then there are just these moments where the things switch off for a second and Brighton are able to get a goal, or in this case, two goals. Well, here's the you're thing, bar- Taylor, you're bearing the lead, Taylor. You're bearing the lead because Morpé mm. beat the goalkeeper at his near post. Why wasn't Leno in goal? What was, where was that guy at this point? What happened? Ask Morpé, I don't know. <laughs> I I look to you to answer that question, Ryan Bailey. Daryl, what were you going to say? Uh, so, yeah, before we get to the, the Mopé-Leno thing, I think it's worth, Taylor, naming those players again who stepped to the ball. Did you say it was mm-hmm. Nelson, Willock, yep. and who was the third player? Genduzi. So those are three young players, and I mm-hmm. think that's a big part of Arsenal's problem. They, they've gone young, right? They've hashtag played the kids, and I think a lot of these sort of softness or or late goal type syndrome i think it is about a lack of experience in that arsenal team i mean that that would make sense to me but then do do, like do we have too high of expectations about this arsenal squad then because like you were pretty hyped on them on the return we've talked about that uh quite a little bit and it did feel like Mikel arteta is going to kind of get them humming he's going to get them buying into the system uh i i i heard an, uh, an interview with a journalist for the athletic who was talking about how they've hired a behavioral uh like instructor did you all hear about this i did not 
Go on. He, basically, his job is to like he's helping them to not have negative body language on the field because like that's that's become such a thing with Arsenal that there's been the kind of gesticulations yeah. of frustration, throwing your hands up that they're trying to like stomp that out. And that to me felt like okay, he's going from like ground up. I want to get everybody on the same page. I want to build that chemistry and. I sort of expected that to work and you would see a bit more of that sort of camaraderie, that chemistry. And then I think when you do have those young players stepping, yes, they're young players. And yes, it's like the late stages of a game, but it's still those moments that I guess I, I, I expected to just be a little bit tighter, but maybe I'm sort of overestimating Arsenal at this point, which maybe does beg the question of, of where Ryan are like Ryan for you in your mind, are Arsenal like still a strong team? Are they still one of those teams that like we can regularly think are going to be challenging for European spots? They are the opposite of strong. But before I get to that, two of the, two of the yeah, three players you mentioned stepping up, like Nelson and Willock, both came on. They came on, uh, and we're talking about substitutes, about the other teams in the Premier League who've made good substitutions. You know, Arsenal were chasing a goal, and those, those are the players they brought on. Martinelli didn't come on in this game, who, by all accounts, you know, I would, I would have thought may, may have been, been able to do a more a, a better job at getting getting forward on the ball. But I, 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 in terms of Arsenal being strong I just think they're soft I think the word I would use for Arsenal all over the field is soft this is probably Mm -hmm. the worst Arsenal midfield I can remember I look at the centre-backs there's not much going on there I look at the full-backs they're not pushing up they're not doing what they should be if we and and something Daryl mentioned in the show notes is like comparing this to a Guardiola style Arteta in the Guardiola mold this team is not performing to a Guardiola standard anywhere in the field possibly up top okay I'll give them up top they've got some attacking weapons up there but that midfield the centre-backs the full-backs not giving them much credit at the moment. And I, I saw someone on Reddit refer to them as Marshmallow FC. And I think that's quite a good quite a good stance to take on them at the moment, frankly. But I think by, by pointing out their youth, I think I'm trying to come up with an explanation for why mm. they might be soft, right? It's essentially they're not making good decisions. They're not making experienced decisions um, late in the game. That's what I saw with that, that 95th minute winner from Brighton. So I always think calling a team soft is a little too easy it just like you you can't have like a team-wide personality where you're all softies i, I think it, there's usually got to be a better explanation than that well but wait i'll jump in for a moment because like daryl like like going back a couple years like we both really enjoyed that like troy dini anecdote about arsenal or a team that you can like knock them and once you've hit them they'll kind of be a little bit scared they yeah. play off their game a little bit they can be got at if you play physical like, do you feel like that is still the case or do you feel like that was maybe like an overblown statement in the moment because troy dini is just so lovable and troy dini-esque i don't know i tend to trust troy dini and there was in that yeah. game i remember that he smashed per metasaka <laughs> as if to <laughs> prove a point um early in in the game so yeah it's like smash, smashing an aluminum pole that feels that feels unfair <laughs> um, just say by the way um troy dini is a guest on louis theroux's podcast there are other podcasts out there apparently i just found this out louis theroux's got a, a, a new series out called grounded which he's doing during the uh, quarantine period troy, it, it is the best interview i've heard with the player in years i recommend that um once everybody is done with everything from uh, tss and the fine athletic stable that they go and uh, check that one out by the way just just jumping in there with that ryan i already listened to it at your recommendation i think you tweeted mm. this out uh, a couple of days ago right and i was like oh that sounds good i will i will definitely go and listen to that yeah and i concur it's a really good interview yeah he i I had a lot of respect for him before having read a bit about his story and the the challenges that he's overcome and i'm i'm just even more on the troy genie train right now 
Oh, that must be nice that you both love the other podcast host. I see how it is. Get a room, you two. That's what I have to say. Um, Daryl, uh, let's not talk about Arsenal's relative softness, uh, but if they do have that issue again, see Roman. Uh, Daryl, for you, like we've talked a lot about what uh, Mikel Arteta is trying to do about like the positional play. I would say you are a positional play expert, at least for the Total Soccer Show, because you can succinctly explain what it is versus me hemming and hawing and saying, I'm a bunch. Uh, so when you look at this Arsenal team, are you starting to see more like little signs that like, okay, it is clicking. They are sort of getting together. They are uh, figuring out what Arteta wants and playing the way he wants. Or is it still a bit few and far between when you do have those moments? So this is the weird thing. They looked more on the same page before the coronavirus break than they do now. And you remember from my preview, I was all about the idea that, hey, Arteta's had, you know, what, a few weeks now that where they didn't have to think about a game. They could just focus on um, implementing positional play. And they're going to come back looking much more organized, much more synchronized. And what I've seen in the first two games back is the exact opposite. And I wonder if maybe Arteta has taken it to a more complicated level of positional play and they're a little bit lost. Because Taylor, um, Ryan, I don't know if you'll be familiar with this because I know you're not as uh, US men's national team obsessed as Taylor and I are. In this game, Arteta was asking Arsenal to do the um, right back to centre midfield, Tyler Adams, Nick Lima mm-hmm. trick. So Hector yes. Bellerin was in a back four when Arsenal were defending. As soon as they started attacking, he went and joined Gendouzi in central midfield. They did the 3-2-3-2 weird shape. And like Sacco was supposed to go to the left wing and Aubameyang was supposed to, to come to the middle. But what I saw is it happening very, very slowly and a few players looking around, looking confused and checking other players to see where they're supposed to be. And it all looked like it, it wasn't quite habitual yet, right? It, was, they, it wasn't natural. They didn't know where to be. And I just saw a lot of players on, the, on different pages. Um, and I think the very best example of players not on the same page is, um, I noted this down just so people could check this out. In the fifth minute, there's a really simple passage of play where Mustafi has the ball at sort of right centre-back and uh, Pepe um, checks towards him and then runs long, right? You know that move where you check check away from your defender mm-hmm. then run in behind and you're expecting a ball over the top? Pepe checks two, runs beyond, I think Byrne was the left-back and then Mustafi plays it short straight into the feet of Byrne. <laughs> So there's two, because a lot lot of positional plays about running patterns, right? Um, It's two players running different plays, different patterns, um, and they're literally not synchronized. And I think that is the problem with Arsenal. Maybe Arteta has made it too complicated by adding an extra layer of like, you go there and you go there and you do this and you do this. And we're in that stage where they're all confused. So is Arsenal's problems, Daryl, do you think tactical and positional and mentality rather than personnel? Because I, I kind of view them as, not being the sum of their parts at the moment. So I've kind of maybe buy into that a little bit. Yeah, it's interesting. So I think Arteta and, say, Bearhalter with the US men's national team, we're in the same stage, right? Where it's it's yet to be determined, can you have a positional play team that's successful without the world's very best players? Because Guardiola's done it with Barcelona, Bayern Munich, and an expensively assembled Manchester City. Arteta's trying to do it with a bunch of Arsenal youth team players and an unhappy Obama Yang and a surly Mesut Ozil. Um, <laughs> and I'm not, I don't know if it's going to work out, but I don't think it's going to work out this season. And then 
like, all right, so that that is, I think, a good point to go from. Of like, maybe it doesn't work out this season. You 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 think maybe possibly it's going to work out long term. Uh, this is a, a a difficult question, so I apologize if I'm putting you on the spot, Daryl. But with those moments, you are seeing it where you are seeing it sort of. Oh, okay, I see they're trying to do it, but it's not working. I always go back to when Jurgen Klopp first takes over Liverpool, and in that first game, that we see them like, oh, they are definitely hunting in packs. And I think he says later on, like, yeah, we had no idea what to do once we got the ball back, but we're so focused on that, and we could sort of see like, okay, they're hunting in packs. Oh, now they're counter pressing. Okay, now they do know where to go with the first pass after they regain possession and you can see the building blocks there and with that in mind I guess what I'm wondering is from what you're seeing of Arsenal are you seeing it as building blocks are you seeing it as like okay they are doing a few things more successfully and they can build on that or is it more so they're just intermittently doing what's been asked and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't but the rest of the time they're still not entirely sure what to do yeah, I think he's definitely more intermittent. And mm-hmm. like, and with all respect to Arteta, he's an assistant coach who's come and become the head coach, right? Jurgen Klopp came with those champ- uh, sorry, those uh, Bundesliga wins in a Champions League final mm-hmm. for Borussia Dortmund. And there was no doubt that what he was going to implement was going to be the thing that Liverpool need to do, right? I'm, it seems like there's still some resistance, maybe even with the Arsenal players, because I'm sure there's something going on with Mesut Ozil in terms of what he's been asked to do and he's not that keen to do it. And that's why he hasn't played since the break. And I'm not sure if the body language coach has gotten around to everybody, but Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang does not look thrilled about what he's being asked to do. Not so much. Yeah. Uh, if there were one player, I think I don't usually read player bios. If there is ever a biography or just a tell-all book written about Mesut Ozil at Arsenal, I will read that book because I have questions and I need them answered. Yeah. Uh, but speaking of players who now play for Arsenal, but might not someday, Ryan, uh, like you mentioned earlier, like we talked about Arsenal still being a big team. We've talked about the success that Wolves have had. If you are a a player that maybe traditionally is getting courted by those big six teams or the traditional big six teams as they are, like do you think at this point would you rather go to Wolves where it seems like there is an established like like a uh, system of play, style of play, there's a coach there that you know is going to be there, or would you go to Arsenal who have the name recognition, who have the history of success and sort of bet on the longevity of the big name eventually being successful again i'd go to wolves in a heartbeat for me Hmm. soccer is a game of peaks and troughs it's a game of momentum and certain teams have momentum certain teams don't just because arsenal are traditionally a bigger team who traditionally have success at the upper echelons of the table doesn't mean that's the right decision for a player who might sign a two or three year contract i'm looking at what arsenal have on the field right now and what they need to do whether it's a rebuild, whether it's a complete, men, uh, complete rethink of what they're doing on the field, whether it is having that, uh, what was it, a body language coach who said, <laughs> you know, shake things up right. a little bit. Something is not right at Arsenal. That's quite easy to see. So if I'm a player who's you know, up and coming, am I going to want to join that kind of clown car? Let's call it that. Or am I going to go to somewhere like Wolves where I'm knocking on the door of the Champions League and my prospects look a little brighter and the momentum is there because you've got a short career. Surely you want to jump on the momentum train, do you not? Do you look better in red or old gold? That's the big question. Me personally? Yeah. I love I mean, gold. You, you that in. <laughs> See, there we go. He's he's wearing the gold. Well done, sir. Is that an Austin Powers 3? Nicely done. Uh, Daryl, <laughs> I, I feel as though the answer to where would you rather play is obvious. And yet I feel like you might still say Arsenal. Yeah, I mean, I, I still think in terms of what's the more attractive team to play for, it's mm-hmm. definitely Arsenal, right? Their stadium is literally more than twice the size of Wolves Stadium um, and their players get paid basically twice as much, right? Like, I don't know all the Arsenal players' salaries, but I know David Luiz is on £200,000 a week and Ozil is on, what, £350,000 a week. Wolves players are not even touching that. I think the top earner at Wolves 
might be a, a Jao Matinho, I want to say, on £100,000 a week. Um, a lot of other players are not getting the like big Premier League salaries you would expect. I mean, more than any of us are earning, but like uh, Raul Jimenez, I don't think he's earning like more than £50,000 a week. Wolves are still not throwing money at people the way that Arsenal can afford to throw money at people. All right, so so Daryl Daryl is uh, he's out he's not remembering how much more of a draw it is to live in Wolverhampton over London. We all know that the Midlands are the number one place people want to go. Does it also depend on the kind of player you are? Say if you're a, a player coming from the league, you're a, a Danny Ceballos. Should you have gone yeah. to Arsenal or would you have gone to Wolves? Where it, that's different to whether you're a 17 year old, you're up and coming and coming through. Where being at Wolves might be more favourable, particularly if you're Portuguese. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think, I think if you're in your 20s or early 20s and you want to move to a Premier League team um, that's successful, then yeah, Wolves is definitely the place to go, right? But I think still, even I as a Wolves fan know that at some point, uh, someone like Ruben Neves is probably moving on. Raul Jimenez has recently been rumoured to be possibly moving on because he's getting towards 30 and he's maybe got one big move left. Like for as much as I would love to think that Wolves are a regular Champions League team, um, they're not They're not there yet, right? They're not even close to being there yet. And Arsenal, even though they probably won't make the Champions League this year, and it would be a huge improvement if they made it next year, I still think it's a much bigger draw to go and play for that big old famous team. This just feels like like reverse psychology. This is a reverse jinx from Daryl Grove. Man United and Spurs draw, draw and drop points. Liverpool, Everton do the same. Arsenal have started the way Arsenal have started. Leicester drop points as well against Watford. And then Daryl is still like, yeah, but Wolves, no. I, I feel like you're just trying to downplay it because you don't want to be the uh, the king on top in case people start aiming at you. I mean, that's, that's my theory about this one. I mean, if you want the truth, you guys know that I didn't think this debate about whether Arsenal are still a big team is really a, yeah. a realistic debate. I think it's obvious that they're that they're still a big team. I mean, I, I think I think you're correct that they're still a big team. They have the global recognition. I, I think I agree with Ryan, though, that if I am a player coming in and I look at those two situations right now, I think I would go with Wolves over Arsenal. I'm, and I might honestly, like, I would say that even extends to potentially Manchester United, that that's another team that is sort of all over the place. We're not quite sure what the recruitment strategy is going to be. Is only Gunnar Solskjaer a good coach? And again, you know that you have the stability of Nuno. At least it seems that way for the past couple of seasons. I think there's something to be said for stability and knowing that you're going to come in, they're going to play this style. It's not going to be new manager, and now we got something different, and now you might not fit anymore. So I think uh, that's yeah. where I am in this. I think, the, I think the evidence that disproves that, Taylor, is Bruno Fernandes. Bruno Fernandes <laughs> is like the classic uh, should have been a Nuno signing. True. I think he Very may true. even be a George Mendes or at least guest foot client. And there's that's even a, a show from early January, a Total Soccer show, where we each pick out like the player we really want to realistically mm-hmm. sign for our team. And Bruno Fernandes was the guy I wanted at Wolves as like a long-term Jao Matinho replacement. And in the end, he went to Manchester United. And I was Darryl, saying, here's the thing, his, though. I'm sure his accountant would have advised him to go to Manchester United. <laughs> and I'm sure anyone's accountant would advise you to go to Man United or Arsenal over Wolverhampton Wanderers Football Club. But does it depend on your worldview a little bit, though? Because if you're from the Agnelli school of thinking that there are traditional big teams and we should make lots of money in the short term and we should maybe have breakaway leagues, then Arsenal are always going to be the bigger team. If you look at what happens on a in the day job day to day, and you look at the momentum that's currently happening, then you could argue that Arsenal are not the bigger team, and that's maybe that's even more of a short term view, and maybe that's not for the kind of person who wants an extra couple of zeros on their bank account. 
what I'm hearing is Daryl said, I really want uh, Bruno Fernandez and publicly stated it. And then instead, Bruno Fernandez went elsewhere to the team that I support. And I think this supports my theory that Daryl just doesn't want to publicly say that Wolves are very good for fear that he will jinx them and people will not go there or people it? will suddenly start targeting them. Is that think, it? think of it this way. If we're really having this debate, if you look at Wolves right now, a lot of people would agree that it is kind of all dependent on the job that Nuno is doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and for Wolves to really be thinking about being a big team along with those other big names, they first need to, A, qu- I mean, qualify for the Champions League, right? Now it's it's still just like a dream that's within reach, but it hasn't happened yet. So they need to do that semi-regularly and they need to prove that it isn't just the genius of one really, really good Portuguese coach who is best friends with the agent, who is also friends with the owners, right? It might all be just a perfect storm at Wolves at the moment. I'd ho- I hope that it isn't. I hope that it's a thing that lasts for 100 years, right? But <laughs> but there's not proof that this is like a long-term, sustainable, Wolves are a big team thing. Whereas Arsenal, no matter what happens, they could finish 10th for a couple more seasons and they'll still be an attractive proposition. All right. I, again, I'm, I'm, I, I think we've kind of extended this conversation as far as we can. I'm still not <laughs> entirely sure I agree with you, but we'll, I guess we'll have to wait and see what happens 10 years from now. And if I'm wrong, I'll be sure to mention it then. You know, uh, you know instead, I'll be bringing it back up in 10 years. I'm I mean, I'm sure you just put it on your calendar somewhere. Uh, <laughs> and while you do that, I would like to talk about how I think all three of us watched a lot of these games. It's via Fubo. Uh, Fubo, who is today's sponsor. Something uh, we can all agree on. Yeah, I kind of don't even feel like I need to go off the copy here because I think I could ask both of you to tell me your favorite things about using Fubo, and I think you'd have genuine answer. I'll go first. Sure, yeah. I love Fubo. Um, I, I was using a rival streaming service before the coronavirus pandemic hit. I, uh, I took a punt on Fubo when the Bundesliga came back, and I am absolutely sold. I think the user interface for a start is way better. I have used three of the other rivals for the streaming cable services. Fubo is by far the best, in my opinion. And it has all the soccers, which I like to watch. And I literally only use my cable subscription to watch soccer and nothing else at all. Maybe sometimes a little bit of CNN, but that's the way I'm inclined. That's about <laughs> it. And I think it's the best one out there. And, uh, you know, it had a, it's got a really good DVR. It's got 30 hours of DVR on it and it works really well. Some of them don't work. It's got all my local broadcast channels on it. Uh, I get the actual NBC Big Boy channel rather than having to go on an app to watch NBC Big Boy channel. Unlike certain other streaming services I use, I'm all in for Fubo, baby. <laughs> Daryl, yourself? Yeah, I, one thing I used uh, literally today and and Saturday as well was I kept switching devices as I moved around the around the house. Mm-hmm. So I've got the like Apple TV. That's like my main TV where I'll I'll sit and watch it. If I'm going in the kitchen and I'm cooking something, I'll take my iPad and it'll it really will pick up where you left off, whether you're watching a recorded stream um, or a, or a live stream. And I've also got my phone for when I go to maybe smaller rooms in the house uh, and I want to keep keep on watching the soccer. And you really can just keep handing off between the various devices. It's almost like the soccer follows you wherever you go. I, and I, I really enjoy that as well. And I enjoy it as well from a perspective of like with Netflix, if I'm watching something and I'll switch to a different screen, sometimes it will go back like two minutes or something to like the last pause point or whatever it was. And I'm just like, oh, Netflix, you fool. That's not where I was. <laughs> Fubo just picks it right back up. It, it's a pretty tremendous thing that always makes me feel a little bit like it's magic. I also, I'll, I'll mention one more thing, by the way. I know please. I just said I only watch soccer, but there's one other thing I watch and it's just, there's a Netflix show called Shit's Creek. And uh, the sixth season is on a channel called Pop, which is a random channel that no one else seems to have apart from Fubo and they have it and it's, able, uh, it's yes. being, being able to watch that final season as well so that's a that's a fringe benefit for those of you who know and if you know about Shits Creek you know the exact same thing happened in my house except it was my wife watching that there you go <laughs> but it is good I sort of uh, watched it you know absorbed it by osmosis and really enjoyed what I absorbed it's excellent Catherine 
Catherine O'Hara, she remains my favorite. <laughs> uh, I'll also say that Ryan said he only uses it to watch uh, soccer. He only uses his TV to watch soccer. And I now am in choosing to believe that he just has like thousands of hours of Vanderpump Rules or something like that DVR'd. Uh, but you could do that because they do give you the 500 hours of, of DVR if you want to go that route with, with the, the family, family plan. plan. That's right. So you can stay updated on your favorite leagues as well as other local broadcast news. As Ryan mentioned, you can go to fubo.tv slash TSS today and start your free seven-day trial. You will not regret it. That's fubo.tv slash TSS. Start your free trial today. Thank you very much to Fubo for sponsoring this episode of the Total Soccer Show. Thank you less to Everton Liverpool, a game that I think we all thought was going to be incredibly exciting and ended up being a draw that was not that exciting. <laughs> uh, Daryl, why don't we start with you? Unless, Ryan, you have a clear idea as to maybe why this might not have been the game we expected it to be. Uh, I have a relatively good idea. I predicted this would be a goal fest for Liverpool. I predicted this would put them halfway towards winning the title. But five of the last six editions of the Merseyside Derby have had one goal or less. I believe this is the third consecutive nil-nil draw at Goodison Park in this particular derby. We should have seen this coming, frankly. And I've been having a lovely day by the way, Taylor. It's Father's Day. I've been treated by my kids. And, you know, I I managed to go out and get a coffee this morning. It was wonderful. I don't usually have this kind of luxurious day put upon me. It got to 2pm. I thought, I've watched a couple of games already today. I think I'll treat myself to the Merseyside Derby. (laughs) And then that happened, where the highlight was Mike Dean's beard. I mean, first of all, that is always my head, regardless of the scoreline. But probably not what other people were tuning in for. There, would you agree with that one? Is it just the sort of nature of this derby lately that aside from weird howlers and balls going off the crossbar, but then somehow staying inbounds and going in the goal, we're not going to get like interesting goals to talk about? No, I think this, I blame Carlo Ancelotti. And oh, I, I, I blame the, the evil genius of Carlo Ancelotti. We know he's evil because <laughs> of that eyebrow. Um, and I also then blame Jurgen Klopp being unwilling to take big risks. So here's what I saw. This is like a quick tactical overview of this game, if you guys will uh, indulge me. Uh, so Ancelotti sent his team out in a kind of basic looking mid to low block 4-4-2, try and deny Liverpool any space. And then the, the things they did on top of that were when, say, the right back Trent Alexander-Arnold uh, went forward. Then Everton's left mid, I believe it was a young man named Gordon, who I hadn't seen before, would just follow him all the way back, right? He would stick with him as deep as Trent Alexander-Arnold wanted to go. And then the same on the other side when Hammers Milner, um, Alex Awobi, who's you know, theoretically a creative player, his job was basically just follow Hammers Milner as, as far deep as, as he goes. And then you might think, oh, now Liverpool have got a 3v2 in central midfield. But then when that did happen, Richarlison or Dominic Calvert-Lewin would drop in and add themselves as an extra midfielder. So essentially, Everton didn't give Liverpool any space to have any overloads um, to do to to make anything happen, right? And then what would normally happen, right? If this was a must-win game, Jurgen Klopp would have changed it up or maybe risked bringing Mo Salah off the bench or taken some sort of tactical risk. What I saw was Jurgen Klopp basically saying, we've got many, many games to win this title. I'm not going to risk Mo Salah getting injured. I'm not even going to risk playing Firmino for an entire game. Um, I'm just going to take it easy and let this one play out. And this is why Klopp, I think, is smarter than me. I'm of the opinion that this league could end at any minute if there's a coronavirus flare-up in England and that Mm. Liverpool should be getting as many points as possible as quickly as possible before the season gets shut down forever. 
but Klopp seems to be taking a longer view of it. Maybe he maybe he trusts Boris Johnson more than I do, and he trusts Matt Hancock more than I do. Um, and he's just thinking, yeah, I'm not going to take any big risks. We're going to get those points eventually. Let's just take it one by one. That, so that's well, what I, think, I saw. You th- I think you raise a good point there, Daryl, because you look at the running that Liverpool have, and it's not it's not exactly completely flat and easy for them. The Crystal Palace is the next game. I don't think uh, Liverpool fans need any reminding of the, the, the damage the Crystal Palace have done to previous uh, title campaigns of Liverpool's. Then they've got Man City coming up after that. Uh, Aston Villa after that. Okay, fair enough. West, uh, Brighton after that. Okay, you know, Brighton could cause some trouble. Potentially, we've seen them uh, um, cause trouble there. Arsenal coming up after that. Depends if the, uh, what was it, the... <laughs> The body language manager has got things in, <laughs> yeah. intact by then. Uh, He's got some time. Yeah, then, then Chelsea comes up after that. That's going to be a challenging game if they haven't won it by that point. And who knows, it could go down to the penultimate game the way this is going at the moment. Newcastle, the last game of the season, who are, of course, going to win every single game 3-0 from here on out. So <laughs> it's uh, it, it's... It's interesting that, they, and I think you may raise a good point about the, the league potentially stopping there. That if I was caught, I would have just thrown everything at the wall to get this done. Six points, two games, uh, put the put the flip flops on, basically. But that doesn't seem to be the approach. Yeah, he just he just seems to be taking a, maybe a smarter, wiser, longer term view. Maybe maybe he's had a word with Dominic Cummings. I don't know. <laughs> I'm still reeling from from the question of who trusts Boris Johnson less, Daryl Grove or Jurgen Klopp, and it's it's a tight. One. I think Jurgen Klopp might trust him a little bit more than Daryl, uh, but it's a very tight margin. It's a very okay. very tight margin. Here's a question for for you: Who do you trust more, um, Boris Johnson or Dejan Lovren in their respective roles? <laughs> to is it to Mark uh, Richarlison? Because I've seen I've seen both of them fall over on a football pitch. Do you remember when <laughs> Boris Johnson played in that England Germany celebrity? Yeah, he, oh, he didn't fall over. He went for it. John, I mean, but Johnson's like he tried to rugby tackle someone, basically, right? Exactly. That's yeah. Almost what Dejan Lovren ended up doing to Richarlison. So they're actually not dissimilar. I think the better question is: Have we ever seen them both at the same place at the same time? That's really the way to go with this one. You think uh, Lovren just has a yellow wig that he sometimes puts on? <laughs> I mean, oh I hope so. Even if it's not related to this topic of conversation, I hope he just has one and wears it around. It's a Pablo <laughs> Nedved wig, and, I'm, and I would enjoy it. Um, if, if, say, Liverpool do stay a little bit hesitant, if Jurgen Klopp doesn't want to risk it and risk like, like losing the next two games, can other teams replicate, do you think, Daryl, what Everton did in this game? Or is it difficult to kind of pull off without some of the squad and some of the sort of managerial acumen that Ancelotti has? Uh, and then if Liverpool maybe turn it on just a tiny bit more, would it be able to be sort of uh, bypassed easily? I mean, I think I honestly think Ancelotti is a fantastic manager. Um, and I think he's even, he's proven it even more so here by, you know, taking on like, uh, with all due respect, like a smaller team than, than he's coached in the past and constantly coming up with solutions, right? That it wasn't just a 4-4-2 sit in a mid block, like see what we can do. He seemed to have very specific plans to deal with very specific eventualities and then still had the threat of Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison. And it could be as simple as like a Calvert-Lewin flick on for Richarlison to, to run past. So I honestly think it's a combination of Everton having a decent level of talent and a really, really smart coach. So I don't think just any old team could do this against Liverpool. And even if they do, Liverpool will still probably stumble over the finish line with enough points. And they, they did have a chance to nick it on a few occasions there. I think, well, Calvert-Lewin had that header from that corner late on. And just before that, was it, was it Davies who had the shot that was deflected yeah, off Gomez onto with, the post? Yeah. That was, you know, they were pinned back in their own third for most of this game, is probably fair to say. But they did have a few chances to nick it there. I think just Liverpool, as an, as an overall one, I'm going very basic here, just didn't create 
enough chances effectively. Pretty pretty solid defensively, I could see. Pretty solid physically, they were there. Had a few creative outlets. Uh, Nabi Keita getting some um, some good plaudits for his work there for creating space and uh, looking up for it, whereas maybe some of his colleagues didn't look as up for it as him. Missed him when he went off, I'd say, as well. But... Yeah, this this is um. Well, one thing I'll say is there's been a few tabloid newspapers who've sort of blamed the lack of fans. Is it the lack of fans' fault that this was a nil-nil? No, I don't think it was. I think these are always tight games between these two sides, particularly at Goodison. I think we probably should have seen this coming, and that five-two that we had earlier in the season was a bit of a misnomer, frankly. That argument of like like the argument of uh, is Aaron Ramsey not being at Arsenal the problem with Arsenal makes more sense to me than is it the fans' fault that uh, <laughs> for not being there. So uh, any other points we'd like to discuss on the Premier League? We've we've we stayed in England. We're going to move to Europe in a moment, but I just want to make sure we've covered all the games we want to talk about in the English Premier League. I mean, I could go over Wolves one more time if you want. I, what, can I, mean, I, I think I'll, I'll ask one question um, <laughs> with Neto's goal being very good. Oh, yeah. Has he scored the best goal of the restart, or was that venture well? Because I think it was Chilwell. I actually haven't seen Chilwell's goal. That was the early game, right? And it's on my yes. DVR. And that's we, we decided not to not to run it today. So I haven't watched uh, it yet. Well, so, you've got a tree ahead of you. From what I've seen, it's Neto's goal. <laughs> um, I didn't hear either one of you say Christian Pulisic. So I, I don't really know what to make of <laughs> actually, that one. Can we, sorry, for one second. Can we talk about Pulisic's mm. finish? Was sure. that, did, did he deliberately meet it in that way? Or did he just kind of throw a leg at it? Um, for me, I think he deliberately did it. I think he he's he gets on the end of it, and I think it's not as though he's having to like close down that space to be able to get on the end of it. I feel like he's there sort of comfortably enough to get the finish to it, and I think it's one of those where maybe it's a little bit more awkward, and so he has to adjust and sort of do what he can, but I think it's still a well-controlled finish. So it's unorthodox but deliberate. That's my answer. Okay, Ryan, yeah. what do you say? Unorthodox but deliberate. Sounds like someone who can hold a glass of water with one hand. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> or just with his foot. Hey, see... The, the the frustrating thing here is I think they always get those weird water bottles that require squeezing. So I think you only ever see him drink it with two hands. And that's where this all sort of falls apart. But I think were he presented with a glass of water, he'd be able to pull it off. Um, if he were presented with maybe a bunch of different offers for life insurance, maybe he would have more of a difficult time. And that's where today's sponsor, Policy Genius, might be able to help with everything going on right now in the world. A lot of people are asking if it's even possible to buy life insurance at all. The answer to that. That, of course, is yes, you can buy life insurance during a pandemic. And if you have loved ones, depending on your income, you most definitely should. Isn't that right, Daryl Grove? Yep. So Policy Genius is essentially a marketplace, right? They don't supply the life insurance directly, but they get all kinds of life insurance quotes from all over the internet and they help you compare and contrast. So you just go to policygenius.com and it's all there in one place. And that can help you save $1,500 or more a year using Policy Genius to compare life insurance policies. Can I just there add that are. once you apply, the Policy Genius team will handle all the paperwork and the red tape, and they'll do that for free, no less. I'm just adding that ad hoc to your point there, Daryl. And if you hit any speed bumps during the application process, they'll be there to take care of everything. They're an aggregator for you. <laughs> They're Ryan's an aggregator, not an agitator. Um, and if you're one of the many people looking to buy life insurance right now, uh, but you're not sure where to start, head to policygenius.com. There we are. So thank you to Policy Genius for sponsoring this episode. Let's go to Spain. Let's talk Real Madrid, Real Sociedad, Real Madrid with a chance to go top of the table. And they took that chance, but there was some controversy in this one. Ryan, where would you like to start in this game? Should we talk goals or should we talk goals that didn't happen? Uh, Can we even start even before that? James Rodriguez started this game. Hey, was that crazy? That was fun, wasn't it? 
<laughs> no, it has all. been that has been one of my favorite moments, like favorite things about the restart is just players like, oh yeah, they play there. That's right. That's fun. That's the thing that happened. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so this was a, this was an interesting one seeing him line up and no Inazar, despite from the games I've seen since the restart of him looking rather good. I'm interested in uh, uh, the the rationale behind that. All the same, I think the big talking points here was Adnan Janazai's disallowed goal and Karim Benzema's allowed goal. Now both of them <laughs> raking up plenty of controversy. I will say. I think both were pretty just decisions. Uh, the the Adnan Zanzai goal coming from sort of a really nice short corner routine. Adnan Zanzai, who I keep saying his full name for no particular reason, is utterly unmarked, uh, sort of, what were he talking about, 20, 25 yards out, but gets his shot off and uh, one of his teammates interfering with play in the line of uh, Thibaut Courtois' sight. I think anyone want to argue that that should have stood? Let's let's go through. Let's take them point by point. So you're saying uh, goal correctly disallowed, right? For the Yanazai goal, sure, uh, Ryan. Sure. All right. I I will agree with you on that one because though I think Mikel Moreno isn't like obviously doesn't make a touch on the ball. I think almost his movement to show that he's not making a touch he basically tries to like shape up and, and get as small as possible but that almost draws attention to himself and while he's in the the eye line of Courtois I think that does make him involved so I think it's correct to disallow that one so I mm-hmm. agree uh Daryl are you gonna agree or are you gonna go the opposite way yeah I mean this isn't talk sport right the, or this isn't uh Colin Cowherd I'm not gonna pretend to disagree <laughs> just to create right. content yeah if you're in Good. if you're in an offside position and you're in the line of sight that's an offside offense. And if you sort of make a move that like looks like you could have touched the ball, but you move out the way at the last second, that's also like being involved, right? So there's two offenses there in an offside position. Definitely, definitely offside. All right. So we all agree on that one. This one may be a bit more controversial because for this for the the winning goal, or what eventually became the winning goal, Kareem Benzema brings it down, cuts inside, gets the shot off, it's a good goal. But then there's some speculation as to whether or not it's a handball, it's a great ball in Viva Verde. Does Kareem Benzema bring it down with the outside of his arm as opposed to his chest? The replays uh, to me, we're a little bit inconclusive, but mm. uh, they they decided to uphold this goal. Ryan, uh, it sounds like you said you felt like that was the correct decision. I might actually disagree with you on this one, but I'd love to know more about why you think uh, it should not have been given as a handball. See, I agree that it was inconclusive from the replace, and it's sort of that shouldery area where I couldn't quite see where the ball hit. Uh, I'm I'm willing to give Karim Benzema the benefit of the doubt in this situation, but where I draw some consternation on this issue is that Mm -hmm. Benzema's celebration was to pull up his sleeve and point to his arm yeah which I didn't quite understand the rationale behind that if one is to say I did not use my arm should I then point to my (laughs) arm and show everyone it's worth in this particular situation what I saw is him pointing at his shoulder saying it hit me in the shoulder which is which is perfectly legal so that's that's what I saw the uh, but but he was pointing on the outside wasn't he Daryl wasn't he pointing like on the outside of his arm as opposed to the inside like that's how you point to your shoulder (laughs) you point to your collarbone right well, yeah, but I think he's pointing at the exact spot where it hit, which I'm guessing he's assuming is just above the line, right? Just above the gotcha. dotted line. I, I believe all soccer players have a dotted line that, <laughs> that delineates where the arm ends and where the shoulder begins. His yeah, must that be was worn off. correct. His, his was worn off because he'd been sweating the whole game. You joke, man. Infantino's going to make that a rule. Like everybody has to get handball tattoos now. That's how we're going to deal with this. Um, I think for me, it was that basically he is able to, in my mind, like change the course of the path or of the ball. Like the ball comes in and then it seems like he kind of carries it back away from goal towards the middle of the field, if that makes sense. Whereas I feel like if he brought it down with his shoulder or his like pectoral, it kind of 
stops dead unless he gives it that extra oomph when he brings it down. So that it had that sort of strange change on the trajectory is where I was thinking it was a handball. So it sounds like we're split here, Daryl. Now you do have to weigh in. Oh, yeah, I absolutely think this is legal. Yeah, I think think it hits him in the... It's a really, like, weird, undefined thing, right? Where the arm ends and where the shoulder begins. But... I, I just tend to give him the benefit of the doubt that he hit it with a, a part of the body that isn't something where you can have good control of the ball with your arm, if that makes any sense mm-hmm. at all. It does. It does. All right. So I, I'm outvoted here and I'm fine with that because <laughs> instead I want to I want to take this moment to criticize Sociedad for a moment because handball or not, uh, Elisundo and Llorente do not cover themselves in glory on this one. Elisundo, the defender, just puts his hand up in the air and stops for a moment. And then because of that, I think Llorente feels like he has to make a play. So he comes lunging in and that's the player that Benzema cuts on. So by the time Elisundo is then trying to make up that ground, Benzema is able to have that shooting opportunity, which he takes. And I and it is a sort of moment of like, maybe it's a handball, maybe it's it's not we've decided now definitively it is not a handball so i should say it is not a handball <laughs> and so especially you don't stop there and put your hand in the air not great work from the sociedad defenders but i guess great work from kareem benzema to not handball the ball and then score the goal it's, it's and, great work for him to sort of get around the ball and get it wasn't a great shot right it was kind of a kind of a mm-hmm. grub hunter uh, but it's a great great like turn and strike at goal just to get it on target at all because he had he was facing the other way essentially the little differences in American versus uh, English uh, phrases I love. Did you say grub hunter? Yeah, because it's just rolling. I think we go. I think we go worm burner, but I like there yours more because it makes it sound like you're like out doing something. As if well, I guess the other one makes it sound like you're setting worms on fire. I'll take yours. I'll take hunting over setting. <laughs> on the American one's just more violent, right? Grub, hun- hey, grub hunter just sounds like like the English Postmates or something to me. It's like an app on your phone. <laughs> grub hunter is a ten episode series on Netflix. I think I'm fairly <laughs> confident that's a real thing. Um, any other things we want to talk about from Sociedad Madrid, Daryl? I know you were excited about this game because it had Odegaard. I was excited about this game because it had Vinicius, who draws the penalty that Sergio mm. Ramos uh, strikes well and then pets that goatee. Yeah. Uh, did it leave live up to any of your expectations, Mister Grove? What this entire game. I think maybe just those, maybe just Martin Odegaard, like against his like past, current, and former team. Somehow that's possible. <laughs> I, honest, um, I honestly, like, I can't answer because I didn't see the entire mm-hmm. game. So ba- okay. based on what I saw, it's uh, mm-hmm. Vinicius that I was way, way more excited about, mostly yeah. because of that one-two that he got involved in with Marcelo to yeah. uh, to win the penalty kick. So yeah. that we could get the Sergio Ramos beard stroking celebration. And quick, <laughs> quick, actually, two side notes. Uh, Grub Hunter is a Channel 4 and Netflix co production. Um, also, <laughs> best, best celebrations of the weekend. Uh, best celebrations of the weekend are the combo of the Sergio Ramos beard uh, stroking and the Kareem Benzema pointing to the shoulder in celebration that the goal was given. I'm, I feel like that's just a shot at me for thinking that it shouldn't have been given, but I'll take it anyway. I, I enjoyed both of them. I did enjoy it. Anytime a center back steps up and smashes a penalty, uh, it's always lovely. But if you're on a team with a person who's just like, I will take that penalty, but then you kind of have faith that they're actually going to score it. Yeah. That's always the idea. You never want to be on the team with a guy who's like, I got this, fellas. Don't worry. I'm going to smash it 20 <laughs> yards over the bar and I'm going to do it every time. And I think Sergio Ramos backs it up when it comes to penalties. And I did enjoy the Vinicius penalty win. The one two was mm-hmm. beautiful with Marcelo. But yeah. Then he, he kind of embarrasses, uh, I've forgotten the names of both defenders. One of them is Lorente or Llorente because that's mm. who fouls him. And I can't remember the second gentleman who he nutmegs. It's, uh, it's Norman who's attached to direct Grub Hunter, actually. 
Brilliant. I love you both. I love you both. Well, well done to Real Madrid, who go top of La Liga. Can I just, um, Taylor, can I, sorry to oh, interrupt yeah. you, can I jump in and yeah. just heat praise on Sergio Ramos for that penalty? Yeah, um, I, I believe it's his 20th consecutive penalty. I think he's the highest scoring defender in the league of history with that goal. But just when they, when you see the slow-mo, how good his technique is and how he does the sort of um, slow down, speed up, run up. And he sends the keeper the wrong way and is able sort of Eden Hazard style to put his ball in the other direction. It's just beautifully done when you watch it in slow motion. He is he is a world-class penalty taker, a world-class beer grower. I look forward to him mm-hmm. um, serving me a craft cocktail in Hackney one day with that beard, but otherwise keep going on the field. Although maybe not in the short term because he got that injury, of course. So um, I wonder how Madrid are going to cope without their best striker in their coming games. Oh, and worth noting, Craft- this puts Real Madrid top of the league, right? Mm. So they are now level on points with Barcelona, but they have a better head-to-head record. So Real Madrid are now top of the league, and they went top of the league keeping Eden Hazard and Gareth Bale on the bench. Soccer is unfair. <laughs> Gareth who? And, exactly. And yeah, exactly. Doesn't that, doesn't that kind of not surprise you with this Real Madrid team that it's like, oh yeah, of course, it was those two scoring the goals and making things happen and not the two that they spent millions and millions and millions and millions right. and millions of dollars on. And the other, the other guy they spent money on, they just let play for the other team. Yes. Uh, uh, <laughs> Cocktails with Sergio Ramos sounds like the, I think, the show that comes on after Grub Hunter on Netflix. <laughs> right. if, you let, if you finish that series, it rolls all the way through. Final game I want to talk about before I come up with more Netflix shows is in the Bundesliga. The race for second place question mark uh finishes with dortmund on top the the matchup that everybody was super excited about because we all wanted to know who would finish second uh let's get into this game um where were your levels of interest in this game in general versus daryl for you in the two americans involved were you watching this from a these are two really exciting teams or with the the league sort of being done were you watching it from a let's watch what Giorena does let's watch what tyler adams does i mean come on taylor you know me i checked the mm-hmm. kickoffs an hour, the uh, lineups an hour before kickoff. Saw Gio Reyna was getting his first Bundesliga start. Crossed my fingers and toes that he didn't get injured in the warm up. <laughs> and then <laughs> I was all excited that we were going to see um, a Gio Reyna start. And of course, we got a Gio Reyna assist. And even though Tyler Adams was on the bench, I knew we would see him at some point. And I was even excited that Tyler Adams didn't come on at right back. He actually came on and played central midfield. Uh, I'm enjoying this this show starting with Christian Pulisic and finishing with Gio Reyna. It yeah. feels like a nice uh, a nice combo there. Uh, they better be those names better be in the episode title, Taylor, because people are going to be excited about this. Oh yeah, so much SEO potential there. Can I uh, <laughs> and to tie those two together with uh, with um, uh, Reyna? Sorry, I, I've lost the ability to speak. With Reyna laying off that ball for the first goal for, for Bruce Orban's first goal to Erling Haaland. Beautifully, Teddy Sheringham at Euro 96 style against the Netherlands. That's what it had echoes of for me. My question to you two gentlemen, if Christian Pulisic is in that position, does he make that pass or does he do what most people would do and go for the shot? I think Christian Pulisic at Borussia Dortmund in that situation lays it off to Erling Haaland. That's my feeling because that's what I remember of Christian Pulisic was kind of trying to find those passes, trying to make something happen. He'd take the shot if he needed to. I do feel like he looks for the goal a little bit more at Chelsea than he did at Dortmund, but that might just be recency bias and my love of Gio Reyna. Uh, (laughs) Daryl, what do you say? I think he would have laid it off because it was the correct thing to do. Right, It was the most efficient thing to do. Um, And I am really proud of Gio Reyna for this assist. As Ryan said, Mm. Taylor, are you familiar with the goal he's talking about? uh, It's a Shearer goal with a Sheringham 
um, sort of uh, shape like he's going to shoot, but then plays it square to Shearer at the top of the box. This is like an England 1996 game, so it's understandable if maybe you haven't. I don't really have a clever this. clever retort to that, other than to say that no, no. I'm not familiar. Yeah, with I'm, that goal. I'm guessing your 96 wasn't even on TV here, right? Um, but it's it's got a <laughs> wow. really similar feel. To, um, no, it probably wasn't in 96, right? Um, not probably. This not. is definitely what we need to get to the bottom of, fellas. <laughs> um, but I'll send you a link to put in the show notes. It's very similar because the important thing is Gio Reyna faking to shoot is what opens up the space for Erling Haaland, right? So mm-hmm. uh, it's Klosterman and Mukiele. They both bite on the Gio Reyna shot. They both take a step towards him. That's why Erling Haaland is wide open. That's why Gio Reyna can just like open up his foot a little bit and have that nice little layoff into the path of Erling mm-hmm. Haaland. It was 100% the right move because it made, it created a situation where there wasn't actually space to shoot and he created a shooting opportunity for someone else. So well done to Gio Reyna. And I think mm-hmm. Pulisic would have done the same thing because it was the right thing to do. Not morally, so. but, you know, technically. And uh, can I say a big shout out for Angelino in this uh, play for putting Haaland miles on side as well. <laughs> uh, all right. So then I asked this question on Twitter because, Daryl, you know, I love watching the, the replays of goals because I feel like you can get some insight into the team chemistry and who hugs who hardest and who celebrates the most. And in this one, after the goal goes in, Giorena kind of loops around to celebrate. Haaland stands up. And in my mind, when I watched it, it looked like he sort of pointed at the crosser and then like looked at uh, Giorena and said, like, you? Like, I, and it seemed to me he was saying, like, oh, did you play me that ball? I don't think you did. Lots of people chimed in to say, like, oh, no, he was saying you should have shot. That should have been your chance. Rewatching it another 10 times, which I have since done, I now am changing my mindset to I think he was teasing him. <laughs> I think that was generally just yeah. him being like, oh, you did it? I don't know if you did it. Like, it was almost like what I do with my nephew <laughs> when he like, like throws the football. While I'm like, you threw that? I don't think you threw that. Like, it almost looked like that. And knowing that he has what the American dream nickname, I think Erling Holland might just like to mess with people. Yeah. That's that's my takeaway. I would like to know if you all agree or disagree. I think Ryan, it's, we'll it's, go to you. it's very good that Reina came off before the second goal, because the way that Erling Holland threw Julian Brandt around like a ragdoll for his assist, I, I think he might have uh, broken Gio Reyna with that throw, frankly. <laughs> Uh, Daryl, I'm going to guess that you, you're not as enthusiastic to talk about what happened in the celebrations. I mean, I I am, I guess, but uh, <laughs> I'm actually really interested in sort of Gio Reyna's Gio Reyna's uh, entire game versus just the just mm-hmm. the assist that he laid on. Because so I'm not sure um, how close attention you paid, but he he essentially played central midfield in this game, which is mm-hmm. really really odd. And I know Taylor, you pay yep. a lot of position to uh, attention to positions. Would you agree that he was basically the left side of a three-man midfield? Yes, and it was strange to me the whole time, and I kept wondering when he was going to go back wide again. Yes, right? It was re- really odd, because I just thought that they'll play him on the wing or they'll play him as like a number 10. It was actually a lot of responsibility to give a 17-year-old to play um, in a three-man midfield against RB Leipzig, who are kind of you know fearsome mm-hmm. with the way they close down space in midfield. And it got me thinking that maybe they rate Rainer so highly that they trust him to uh, essentially play his way out of trouble when the red ball press, or sorry, the Rassen ball press uh, comes. Because he, he really did do that a couple of times, right? There was um, more than once, there was like pressure was coming and Reyna would manage to like throw a shoulder one way and accelerate the other way and get away from what would have been trouble. Um, so it wasn't a perfect game by any stretch uh, by Gio Reyna, but it was more impressive than I thought to see him play in central midfield where I've never seen him play before. And now I don't know his best position. 
I mean, I feel like that's probably a good problem to have for a player of his age playing with a team like Dortmund who have the quality they do that he can kind of go in and play a number of different positions and look good enough that we can then debate where he looks best. That feels like a problem that American soccer Twitter will thoroughly embrace and enjoy. <laughs> Uh, shout out to Matt Summers in this game as well. Wasn't he good in this game? Yes. And he started off that first goal as well, sort of wrestling yeah. off his man brilliantly and getting it to Brandt. Oh, he did one two, didn't he, with Brandt, didn't he? And that, was, that was just very nicely done. He was superb. Always is superb, of course. Um, yeah, what more can you say? Fantastic. I think that was, there we are. It's the best I've seen Matt Summers play um, in a long, 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 long time. He kind of, I think the commentators mentioned this, he kind of was Beckenbauer-ish, the way he was just strolling out of the back. And yeah, like you said, Ryan, for that goal... Red Bull sent the press to come and to come and close him down. He just kind of like wiggled through a couple of them and then played a ball, played a yeah. ball through. And there were times when um, Leipzig would send people forward and he would just nonchalantly hit a pass with the outside of his foot that put Erling Haaland through on goal. He the whole game was just dominated by by Matt Hummels. It was it was really really impressive. Um, and it made it more impressive when at the start of the second half, Matt Hummels strolled out of defence again and Tyler Adams went and crunched him. <laughs> That is that that was that your favorite moment of the game aside from the assist? Was it assist was. number one, Tyler Adams crunch number two? Yeah, it was Tyler Adams recognizing that this has been a problem the whole game. I'm gonna go and get in Matt Tumble's face. Yeah. <laughs> I like to think that was Tyler Adams just being annoyed because even Dortmund know to play their Americans in central midfield as opposed to out at right back, and so he had to do something about it. That's my <laughs> So feeling. we did get to see Tyler Adams in central midfield, which was, yep. you know, at least a, a step forward. Yes, uh, and I think is on the field with his hands up in the air asking why he didn't get the ball as uh, Leipzig, ha- I think, launched their final attack. So that <laughs> that did stand out to me because that attack does not come to anything. Uh, we have one game left in the Bundesliga, then we will have the Champions League where Timo Werner, I believe, will still be playing for Leipzig. I think that's how we've worked it out. Um, Wait, no, no, he will be uh, leaving t- for Chelsea. Did you say Timo Werner is going to play in the Champions League? Nope. I'm assuming so, right? No, nope. yeah. apparently he's going to go and join up with Chelsea as soon as the Bundesliga season is over, even though he wow. can't play in the remainder of the Premier League games. And he's going to forego his involvement in the Champions League quarterfinals onwards that are being played in Lisbon. I honestly thought, Taylor, that when you said that, that Timo Werner had come to his senses and realized that <laughs> realized that Champions League quarterfinals do not come along every year and that he can't even play soccer when he goes to London. And the coronavirus cases are much, much lower in Germany than in the UK. This, is, this seems to me one of the worst decisions of all time. So you're loving this move. That's what I'm hearing. I mean, is, the, is it more to do with the, the June 30th contract cut off and not getting an extension with RB and not wanting to risk injury and whatnot? Oh, so you think maybe he would not have been able to play in the Champions League or he just would have, but then he m- might have risked a, an injury? I think maybe there were some financial implications of him extending beyond June 30th, potentially, and, and having financial Champions League involved in it. I presume there are some mechanisms there, but I agree. It does seem like a dumb thing to pass up when, you know, uh, when you, as you say, you're moving over and you can't even play for the other team. So my assumption, now knowing that Timo Werner will not be there for the Champions League either, is that when they do uh, look to replace him, they probably will look within the squad, within the academy, uh, at least for the Champions League round of games. Uh, but going forward, they may well look within the academy to replace him. They may look at like RB Salzburg or some small team where they have a million scouts and have spotted somebody that no one's ever heard of who will then score a million goals. Uh, but if that's not the case, is there anybody that you think they could bring in that would be a good replacement for Timo Werner or would sort of help move them up to that next level where they're maybe more consistent and not sort of slipping up against the teams that Bayern always seem to find a way past. There's this fella called Patrick Schick. Have you heard of him? Ah, he's quite good. Uh, very briefly, only in batches. <laughs> yeah, so he's a, he's a, he's um he's another German club, but he, he he's he's known around Leipzig parts as well. He might be worth getting on a full contract. <laughs> um, 
are we writing off Paulson as well? No, I mean, I think like they, they like they have him there now is, I guess, my point. And Schick they have on loan. I'm assuming they're going to try to make something happen with that. Although I think the scouting report we got about him from a loyal listener was saying that there's lots and lots of interest in Patrick Schick uh, from around Europe as well. Mm. I think it's just more so that I'm assuming they're going to need to replace Timo Werner. They're yeah. going to need more depth in the attack. And even if they and- even if they sign Schick permanently, I feel like Schick mm-hmm. and Paulson are essentially right. two guys for the same like tall guy position. You know what I mean? The uh, the the Timo Werner position is like the uh, the fast guy position so that's that's really what they need to replace would would, would Raul Jimenez make sense Daryl no he's another tall guy right plus they can't have him he's tall enough I mean, he is pretty, he's pretty fast though right <laughs> he, he is pretty fast and he's pretty good at pressing he would fit in the in the RB Leipzig uh, setup I don't think mm-hmm. that's the move he'd be looking for he's not going to leave the Premier League to go to the Bundesliga okay because now I feel like we're also a much bigger team right because we've established that <laughs> the Premier League's bigger than the Bundesliga <laughs> I also do feel like once again that was Daryl being like, "No, you can't have him hands off." <laughs> All right, so they the one player we know for sure that uh, RB Leipzig are not allowed to sign is Raúl Jiménez. We'll leave it at that. Uh, but gentlemen, I do appreciate you talking about the games from this weekend. It's nice to have uh, three voices on the call. It spreads it out. It was a good good rip roaring time, and of course we went over an hour as is tradition. <laughs> uh, so Ryan, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to me today. Always a pleasure, never a chore. And Daryl Grove, same thing to you. Lovely to talk to you on the weekend to review some games once again. Sergio Dest back at you. <laughs> uh, listeners, thank you very much for listening. Daryl will be back with a special interview tomorrow. I will be back with a special in- interview of my own on Tuesday. There we are. But until then, thank you very much for listening, and we will talk to you again soon. <laughs> Slash